All right, we're back in the book of Esther, and so we're in chapter 2, and so let's reload. Um, basically, chapter two, chapter 2 starts with the word later, and later, uh, if you're just reading this in English uh, without any historical background, you'll think, oh, it's the next day, but it's not the next day. It's actually a four-year gap since chapter 1, and so basically what happens is, um, to refresh the story, um, Xerxes tries to defeat Greece, he fails, he goes back home, and to try to feel, try, and to, try to feel better about himself, he throws a big party uh, to show everyone in his kingdom all his accomplishments. And then, as the apex of the party, he says, you know what, bring, let's bring out my wife and, and, and show you how beautiful she is. And, and remember, she refuses to come, which is a really bad strike to the, um, the male ego. And so basically, that's when his assistants tell him, the king, hey, look, listen, um, this, is, this is not just injury to you. This is injury to every man in the province. And so what we should do is have her put away. Uh, and so many people think that she was banished, um, but actually by tradition, it's believed that she was executed. And after this event, Xerxes goes back to Greece, tries to conquer it again, only to return as the loser. And now he, he returns back home, and now he's looking for a wife. And so let's read. Later, when Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done um, and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed let a search be made for a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful women to into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let the beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young women, woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. And so, uh, the fact that he had to send commissioners uh, into the village indicates that, the, quite naturally, the fathers, they weren't very complacent in giving up their daughters. And so, verse 5, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimea, the son of Kish. All right? So, oh, I keep going. Uh, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. So, a new character is introduced. His name is Mordecai. His name appears in two other places, and so that would be Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, or Nehemiah 7, verse 7. But this is the most, this is most, not, most likely not the same Mordecai. And so, Mordecai uh, is the... Um, Hebraized version of the Babylonian name Marduk, which is a pagan deity, and this is actually, this is just a common practice. Uh, devout Jews are taken into exile, and the pagan king renames them with pagan gods, I, the idolatrous names of pagan gods. Now there's a problem here. A problem is if you misread this verse, and you think this verse is talking about Mordecai then when you do the math, 
Mordecai appears to be 120 and Esther appears to be at least 70 years old. But the solution is, again, you're not reading very carefully. Listen to the verse. Named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Kish. So this is referring to Kish, Mordecai's great-grandfather. Now, again, there are people that come along and say, well, there are gaps in the genealogy. But there, there are no gaps. There are no evidence for gaps in genealogy. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also made... Uh, was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. And so her name in Hebrew is Hadassah, which means joy. And her per Persian name Esther means star. And again, this is named after a Babylonian goddess named Ishtar. Uh, and if you're familiar with your Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Ashtoreth. Remember, God is always condemning the Israelites for worshiping Ashtoreth poles or Astra, um, um, Asherah poles. Um, but these are basically poles, worship places that are dedicated to the, the deity Ashtoreth. Now, here is the questionable, questionable thing about Esther. See, here's the thing. Uh, later on in this chapter, we're going to see a very good quality in her. But this chapter also shows us a bad quality, so we don't put her higher than she belongs. Unlike Daniel, she is not... Um, she, she's very complacent in the dietary laws. Like, they, you know, when they tell her, alright, eat this, or she eats it, you know? She doesn't say no, she doesn't refuse, uh, un, unlike Daniel and his friends. She's very, very, oh, oh okay, well, th this doesn't matter, you know. Uh, and so we see a difference. 14. Actually, no, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, when the king's order and edict been uh, been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harm. She pleased him and won favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Harem basically just means the house of women. Uh, so in case you think that's a horror house, well, you've read it wrong. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. That's strike two. Deception. Deception. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what had been happening to her. So again, like a caring family member, he checks, he, he, he goes by uh, and he checks up on her. He's not a stalker. They are related. And his job description is probably that of a um, of a of an elder. We'll get into that a bit later. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had a complete twelve month of uh, twelve months of beauty treatments prescribed for the uh, for the for the women. Six months with oil and of myrrh, and six 
with perfume and cosmetics. Now some argue it's well, it's not it's not 12 months, it's 6, just 6, you know, but it's 12. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harm to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harm to the care of Shegez, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. 15. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted and the daughter of his uncle Abihel, uh, and just, just, just for a free one, Abihel is, is a funny name. It's it's like one of those transgender words like uh, names like for example it's kind of like um, Taylor uh, it's it's a name that a boy can have and a girl can have and and so uh, this is that same name this is again Abihel is a guy in the Book of Esther but he also appears that uh, that name also appears in another part of the Bible and it's a girl's name so I just kind of think that's that's humorous like, there's a little bits of humor interjected throughout the Book of Esther if you didn't notice. Uh, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. This is a big sentence. Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. So basically, her humble mindset impressed everyone. If you were to read this in Hebrew, it, w it would read like this. Esther was lifting up grace in the eyes of all who saw her. Now just, just, think, of that. just think of that. She was lifting up grace. And and so you think, well, that's that's pretty cool, but she's going to get married to a jerk. Let's read on. Um, she was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, in the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than um, more. Um, now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So uh, to, to, to make this short, um, she not only had a, a great body and a great performance that night, but she was also, she also had great character. You know, she's, if you were to look at this, if you were to sit in an English class and examine this book, Esther would pretty much be a well-rounded character in some respects, uh, or in many respects, actually. Um, 18. And the king, now this is a big verse again. What, you read, what we read in 15 about how Esther won the favor, we see that now in verse 18. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's, um, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Uh, and so, when you read that word holiday, here's basically what that means. It, it carries the same idea that our culture has. A holiday is pretty much a day when you don't work, or you're supposed to not work. Uh, you know, I, I always think that in, if, if, if there is a holiday, like 9-11, uh, you should probably take that day off. Otherwise, it's not really a holiday. It's just like a bogus uh, thing that people put in the calendar to, and call it a holiday, but it, it's not. And so here's what that means. It, 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 this means two things to them. It, it's a break from work and it's a break from taxes. The king is very happy. That's his reaction to grace. And so, um, j j just a break here, and I'm trying to interject um, 
God in these messages as much as I can because the book of Esther doesn't really focus on him. Um, Esther is, in some respects, um, a foreshadowing of Jesus. And, and Jesus, John chapter 1 says that he walked among us and you know, there was, in him was full of grace and truth. So here's my question to you. How have you responded to his grace? I mean, if, if the king is so happy about her and, and, and he throws a banquet and he, he says, all right, uh, you don't have to work for a bit and you know, forget about paying me taxes for a bit. If he's like that, how much more of a reaction must you have when talking about Jesus' grace in your life? I mean, like, how is that made evident in your life? Like, do people see that? Uh, and now I can't spend too much time on that, so let's move on. 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do so, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So... Let's talk about Mordecai's job. Mordecai is Mordecai's not homeless. Uh, when you look at uh, the picture Bibles, or maybe if you just read the Bible the first time, that might be what you thought. That's that's what I thought. And really, every picture Bible um, saw him clothed as a poor beggar, homeless. Like you never see him in a building anywhere, and you never see him wearing nice clothes. He's always homeless, but he's not homeless. Uh, his job was to sit by the gate, and he was probably an elder. It brings to mind this verse from Proverbs 123. Her husband is respected at the, at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And so really, just to sit there and stand is his job. Uh, the, the city gates, again, where commerce comes in and where pretty much people go in and out of the city. And so, it's the same thing for the palace. He's outside the gate, pro probably with some other people. And specifically, he's right outside the harem, the, the house of women. And so he's not homeless. He's doing his job. And while he's doing his job, he gets the, uh, the blessing of, uh, or the opportunity, really, to, to, to see Esther and just, you know, chat for a few minutes and see what's going on. 21. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thena and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. Uh, and so let's talk about conspiracies. Conspiracies against Persian kings or monarchs weren't uncommon. As we see here, Xerxes is a major, major, major jerk who clearly has insecurities, maybe even a disorder. Like a, he's, he's not fully there mentally. He acts on impulse. And so I can easily see someone go, let's just kill this guy and get it over with. I mean, he's a jerk to everyone. Just to show you how much of a jerk she is. I, I remember 
we were talking about uh, it earlier. Um, he can have sex with a woman one night. He doesn't like her. He throws her away. Well, she's not. She's supposed to live as a uh, a, a widow all of her life. It's kind of like what David did in Second um, Samuel. Second um, Samuel twenty verse three. I'll I'll read it to you. He says this. Um, when David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left and take uh, to take care of the palace and put them in the house under guard. That sounds like prison. Go on. Uh, he provided for them, but had no sexual relations with them. They were kept in the confinement till the day of their death, living like widows. And so that's what that's what King Xerxes did. Grabbed all raped the town of all the young women, tried all of them, only Esther, you know, Esther won, and then, well, what happens to the rest? Well, I guess they're out of luck, you know? And so, really, uh, that's just one example of many, and so I could see someone going, well, let's just cap him and be done with him. Like, let's kill him. He's, he's, he's an, he's an idiot. He's a moron. He's a jerk, you know? He's a jackass. Let's let's kill him. Uh, and so, of course, history, if you were to follow his life out to the end, uh, his closest assistant um, um, kills him in, in 465 B.C. And that was part of another conspiracy. Conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy was put on his life. And he was finally uh, killed then. And so, again, as for these two men, it's not clear exactly why they're angry with Xerxes, but it's not far from imagination why they would be mad at him. Uh, and so that's that's the story. Uh, next week we'll be in chapter 3. But remember that. Grace. Think about grace. Who has been gracious to you? Ha who has modeled grace in your life? Again, we're talking about a cruel and indifferent king who has a profound response to grace. That That's powerful. It's like the person in jail getting saved. It's like the person with all these tattoos and a calloused heart. And, you know, life has just been rough with them. And you can't really reason with a person. But when they, when they hear about Jesus and Jesus begins to work on their life, something changes. That's probably the best equivalent I can put to that story. And so think about that this week. Think about that.